I want to thank you all for being here this morning. It is a blessing to see that people still come to the house of the Lord. But I hope you came expecting to hear a biblical sermon. Hope that you came to hear the Word of God, because that's what we're going to do. We'll go ahead and uh, jump right into this. Good morning to you all. You all with me this morning? All right. Need you to turn your thinking caps on and leave them on for a little while. Uh, I'm just going to ask you, anyone ever noticed the genealogies in the Bible? Anyone ever been reading through the Bible and you see these genealogies? You ever read through some of those genealogies? Kind of like a so-and-so begat so-and-so, and and they begat so-and-so, and and they begat so-and-so, and kind of goes on and on, and he had sons, and his sons begat so-and-so, and and then they begat so-and-so, kind of drones on and on, and it kind of can go on for, make for some some long chapters in the Bible. Um, The genealogies in the Bible, forgive me, Lord, they can kind of make for some very slow reading material, Um, not very action-packed. Uh, and there's actually there's a whole bunch of them in the Bible. You find them in different books in the Bible. You find a lot of them in Genesis. You find a lot of them in Chronicles. You find them in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Matthew has some. Luke has some. You see all these genealogies, and, and they go on for large passages, large portions of, of, of Scripture. And we usually sometimes, embarrassing to admit, Kind of skip over the genealogies in our Bibles. Um, anyone ever done that? You, you're doing a real good job reading your Bible, and maybe you're into something good. Then you come to a chapter, and it's all these genealogies, and you think, Lord, look the other way for a moment. I'm just going to skip through this stuff. Um, I remember my wife, I believe she was doing a, a one-year reading plan, you know, read the Bible in a year type thing. And she was doing good, and she likes to, to have her stuff organized like that. And she got to those genealogies, and she's reading them. And she's like, Jason, what, what am I reading these for? What, what, what are these genealogies in the Bible for? And, you know, we've all felt that way. Amen? You ever read through some of these genealogies? Let's be honest. Who in the world wants to read Bible genealogies? Um, what can possibly be gained by reading Bible genealogies? Now, now I know that, like, Theologians, seminary-type graduates, uh, uh, people that do research, they, they will like and use these genealogies in the Bible because they kind of create a, a biblical timeline, if you will, and, and they can go back and create these timelines. But I'm talking about what about us normal folks, okay? The Lord has to realize not all of us are going to be researchers or theologians, and we're not all going to map out a big, giant biblical timeline. So what, what is he putting these genealogies in there for, for just for us normal folks? What can we possibly gain from this very boring material that we call Bible genealogies? I mean, Sometimes these can be, I like to read. I am a reader. Um, I read lots of stuff. I try to read every day. But some of this material, I'm going to be honest now, it it is the most boring, monotonous reading that you can find in the entire Bible. Um, what, What could they possibly have to offer us this morning? When I was younger, I remember, you know, I had my bedroom and I had this little nightstand and I would keep my Bible in it and I would try to do good, and I would get my Bible out, and I would read it. And I remember being a young man and young teenager, and I would come across these genealogies, and I would read them, and I, and I remember thinking, Lord, what, what is this? I mean, it would put me to sleep. I mean, what is this dry, boring stuff 
doing in the Bible. I mean, if you've ever tried to read some of them, uh, it's boring material in the first place, and then you can't even hardly pronounce any of the names. These names are so wild, these ancient Hebrew names that are very difficult to read and pronounce, and then you end up getting a headache, and then at the end of reading the genealogies, you ask yourself, what did I learn? I learned nothing from this. I learned absolutely nothing from this. Am I now a better Christian because I plodded through these genealogies? I mean, am I now closer to God? Am I now uh, more polished and refined? Did I get sanctified by reading some of these genealogies? And you kind of scratch your head and you think, I I don't know what this stuff is supposed to be doing for me. Uh, What is it? Just like a bunch of information the Bible kind of says, here it is. And you're kind of like, well, I don't know what to do with this stuff. I can't even pronounce these people's names. What, what does all this mean? You know, my, my thought process is, you know, if, the, if the, the Word of God, if it's this message from, from God, from our Creator, and it's to us, you know, shouldn't it deal with real important things, kind of like how we should live, how to avoid certain things, how to avoid certain pitfalls, who God is, who Jesus is, how to get to know them, his life story, you know, the important matters of the heart, how to gain eternal life. That's what I think should, should be in the Bible, you know, things like that, things that are, are serious, make a real difference in us, not genealogies. What are these genealogies doing in there? You know, but for some strange reason, we have genealogies in our Bibles. They are in the Old Testament and they're in the New Testament. Now, we're going to look at one of these genealogies in the New Testament. And as we look at it, we're going to just see. Let's, let's humor the genealogies this morning. And let's see if they have anything to offer us. If there's anything uh, legitimate in them. If there's anything that's applicable to us. Or are they just taking up space in our Bibles? Is it just a bunch of fluff? Anyone remember, like, maybe back in your high school days or if you went to college, you had to write a paper. You tried to just fill it with a whole bunch of fluff to, because the teacher said, well, it has to be five pages. So you're just kind of drone on for a while trying to say, well, here you go. It's five pages. Just a bunch of fluff. Well, let's, let's see. If the, if, is that what these genealogies are? Just a bunch of fluff to make the Bible thicker or something like that? Matthew chapter 1. Okay, now I will be merciful As a good pastor, I will not read the genealogy in its entirety. I don't want anyone to fall asleep just yet. I'll only read about half of it. Okay, so Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, says this. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here we go. It says, Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Thamar, and Perez begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Naasan, and Naasan begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Booz. 
of Rahab, and Booz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias, and Solomon begat Reboam, and Reboam begat Abia, and Abia begat Asa, and Asia begat Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias. We'll stop there. I'm already getting a headache. I'd said a couple of eyes dozing off already. Snap back, give me your attention back for a little while. You, you see my point now that I say these genealogies, they're just a little on the dry side. I mean, we're, we're, we're looking for a story here. Give me a plot. G- give me a, a main character. Even give me a bad guy, you know, something. But there's no story here. There's no plot. There's no climax. There, there's nothing. There's just this whole bunch of this information being flooded to us from the Bible. Now, this, if we would have kept reading, this is the genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, and, it, and this one goes all the way back to, to Abraham. Uh, I think there's one in Luke, you can read, that actually goes all the way back to Adam, um, tracing Jesus' lineage. Now, I'll admit, it's interesting to see that they can trace the lineage of the Lord Jesus all the way back to Abraham. It's interesting, you know, okay, I'll give you that. We, we see that Jesus comes through the line of David Jesse, David, Solomon, that actually fulfills biblical covenant promises. Okay, that's neat. You know, we can see that. Um, is, is that what this is for here? You know, now, I only read half the genealogy, but, but that's enough for our purposes today. So I like to ask myself when I read something, and I'm like, what, what in the world is this doing here? What does this mean? Lord, are you, are you really trying to speak something through, through just flooding this information to me? So what, what could we, what's a good lesson for this morning that could possibly emerge to us out of these eight verses that cover the lineage of the Lord Jesus, his genealogy? What, what could the application be? If we, if we dismissed in prayer right now and you went home, maybe you come across a friend and they say, hey man, how was your church this morning? What would your pastor preach on? Well, I he talked about these genealogies. Well, what's that mean? I mean, what, how, how's it applicable to your life? What's it mean to you? Man, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a bunch of people's names. You can trace Jesus all the way back to Abraham. I don't know. What could we possibly learn? Can't, can't we just say maybe like, okay, we do trust. It's recorded in the Bible that this is the correct lineage of Jesus. And then move on. It really has nothing else to offer us. That's kind of that. I don't know how we can become a better Christian out of that. I don't know how it makes me a better person. I don't know how it reveals more about God, His character, His nature. I don't know. Let's just move on to more serious topics that are covered in the Bible. Well, not so fast, brothers and sisters. Not so fast. I say this all the time. God's Word is full of hidden treasures And there's one of them right here in these very dry, boring, monotonous scriptures. So this morning, let's just see if the Holy Spirit has hidden one of those precious gems in the the boring genealogies that we just read this morning. Okay? Now, most genealogies in the Bible, almost all of them pretty much exclusively, 
are done through the man side only. Uh, sorry, ladies, you, you get left out. Our women get left out of these genealogies. Mo- most of the time, if men have daughters, there's no mention at all about these daughters. There's no mention at all about the women. They are just not listed. That was just kind of how their culture was back then. It was very patriarchal. It was very male-dominated. That's just how they were back then. Now, someone might say, hey, man, that's misogynistic. Very popular buzzword you hear nowadays. Matter of fact, a lot of critics of the Bible will, will say this accusingly of the Bible. Hey, that's very sexist, very patriarchal. I don't like the Bible anymore. Well, to that I would say, you got a good point. It is. It is patriarchal. It is. That's part of the curse of sin that's made very clear, very clear. It's explained very clearly in the curse pronounced upon us in Genesis chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, you have to realize something. The Bible tells the truth. The Bible tells things as they are. It doesn't sugarcoat things. It tells things as they are. But I'll have you know, that was not God's intention for us to have a, a sexist, misogynistic, patriarchal society or cultures back then. It wasn't. God's intention was that man and woman would rule creation together. Together. They would do it as co-rulers equally. They were to equally subdue. They were to equally keep and tend the garden. Co-rule together. But we chose sin, and along with that came the battle of the sexes. The power struggle between men and women. Men trying to dominate women and women trying to dominate men. You still see it very prevalently in our culture today. So don't give me any of that stuff. I don't like the Bible because it's sexist. The Bible explains why they were the way they were back then very clearly. Now, that's a topic for a different day. But it does explain why our ladies get left out, by and large, get left out of these biblical genealogies. Now, what is strange here, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, is that our scriptures that we read in Matthew's genealogy, which usually completely neglect women, it actually mentions some women. I don't know if you caught that or not. It mentions a handful of women. Now, I read out of the King James Version. I prefer the King James Version. But in the King James Version, they're barely even noticeable. They're barely even noticeable. You may not even have realized that a couple of those names that I read are women's names. They're names of women. It was a reference to women. Okay, now, one thing we have to remember is that the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was mostly Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, and sometimes names don't translate exactly. There might not be a, a name in the Greek as there was for the Hebrew, so they kind of have to transliterate it. They kind of just have to spell it in the Greek alphabet, and whatever this name comes out to be, that's what it is. So sometimes you'll see a name in the Old Testament, and then they'll re-spell it in the New Testament. You don't even know they're talking about the same person. So it can be a little bit tricky. So, for example, Matthew chapter 1, verse 3 says, and Judas, that's actually Judah, Judah begat Perez, and Zerah of Thamar. You see that Thamar there? Now maybe if you have a different translation, uh, your Bible may say Tamar. Now that is one of our women this morning, Tamar. Okay, you may, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you may recognize that name, Tamar. There's actually a couple of women, Tamar, from the Old Testament. But we know which Tamar this one's talking about. So there is a lady's name hidden there right in the King James. You can read right past these things and not even realize it's talking about Tamar from the Old Testament. But the New Testament spells it Thamar. So Tamar. All right. Verse 5. 
You remember, I said, you got to turn your thinking caps on. Leave them on for a while. Verse 5 says, And Salmon begat Booz of Rahab, and Booz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. You see right there in the middle that Rahab. That's actually Rahab. That, that ring a bell to anybody from the Old Testament? Rahab from Jericho? Any, remember any of that stuff? We'll, we'll look at these here in a minute. And then also in that same verse, you see the mention of Ruth. If you know their Old Testament, there's actually a book called Ruth. It's actually pretty good stuff. It, by the way, Ruth has genealogies in it as well. Um, so there, you we're starting to see some women's names, strangely, emerge from this genealogy of the Lord Jesus. We see Tamar, we see Rahab, and we see Ruth. There's three women. Look at verse 6. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And we know who that's talking about? Bathsheba, right? Doesn't actually say her name. It just is a reference to her. Uriah's wife was Bathsheba. You may remember some of that nasty story that happened with King David. Uh, so here we have these four women mentioned in the genealogies of the Lord Jesus, which, like I said, by and large, women are most of the time completely left out of genealogies. They're just done through the men's side only. Men are usually always just listed in these genealogies, but strangely hidden, we have these four women's name emerged to us. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Four women in the genealogy of the, of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, who was Tamar? And remember Tamar, she, she actually, she wasn't a harlot, but she sort of played the part of a harlot one time, and she deceived Judah, which was technically was her father-in-law, okay? Tamar's husband had died. Judah gave another one of his sons to her. He died, and he was going to give her another son, but he was too young at the time. So she's kind of just sitting, waiting in mourning over these two deceased husbands, waiting for this other younger son to grow up so she could have him as a husband. I know it's kind of strange. They just did things differently back then. But let's read Genesis chapter 38, verse 13. Okay? And it was told Tamar. Now, remember, we're trying to discover why does the Bible mention these four women. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goes up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And she put, Tamar put her widow's garments off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah, that was the other son who, who was too young at the time, for she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. Keep reading. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot, because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way and said, Go to, I pray thee. Let me come in unto thee, for he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me, that thou may come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge, till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet 
and thy bracelets and thy staff that is in thy hand. And he gave it to her and came in unto her and she conceived by him. So that's who Tamar is. Some sort of little bit of an incestuous relationship going on here. Kind of some not so good stuff. You know, not really a, a model example of what our lady should be like. Amen. Later on, Judah, this, this man that got her, his daughter-in-law pregnant, he tries to get all self-righteous because he, he doesn't know it's, he's the one that did it. And he actually says, Tamar, you need to be executed. Because you got pregnant out of wedlock, so he gets all self-righteous until it came to light that she produces the signet in these bracelets in his staff and says, it was you. And he's kind of like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, my fault, my fault, I'm sorry. So it's kind of a, a nasty little story there, not, not really a, a biblical example, kind of a, a biblical example of what not to do, right? So either way, this is our first lady mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For all intents and purposes, Tamar was a seductress. She, she seduced her father-in-law. She, she wasn't getting the husband that she was promised. So she was going to jump into action herself. She wanted some children. So she covers herself and she goes and makes herself available and stands in the path of Judah when he's going to walk past, making sure that Judah notices her. You ladies, don't tell me for one moment you don't know how to make the men notice you. That's, what, that's who this Tamar is. For all intents and purposes, she seduces Judah. Now, I'm not saying Judah is, is not guilty. Not at all. Not by any means. But Tamar, seductress. Okay? Okay. How about our next lady mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ? Remember? Rahab. Well, Right off the bat, we got problems with Rahab. She's a Canaanite. She's a Canaanite. Th those are the enemies of the people of God. They, they are the enemies. Okay, well, who is Rahab? Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now, what we're doing now is we're kind of going back. We're gathering all of our information so we can see why this genealogy is written for us. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 says, And Joshua... The son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to secretly spy, saying, Go view the land of Jericho. And they went, and they came into an harlot's house named Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth those men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house. For they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I don't know where they went. So this is who Rahab is. The Bible explicitly tells us she's a harlot. She is a harlot. That is who she is. That's what she does. That's how she makes her living. That's how she earns her keep. She is a harlot. So our, our second lady mentioned in the lineage of Jesus is Rahab. And she's a Canaanite harlot. Kind of like a double whammy. She's of the enemy's tribe, the Canaanites. And also, she's a harlot. It's, it's just a double whammy. 
she's, she's deceitful. She deceives her own king. I don't know where those two guys were. Yeah, they were here, but I don't know where they went. She hides them. So she's deceitful. She's a harlot. She's a Canaanite. Not so great. Not so great at all. So these, we have Tamar, seductress. Now we have Rahab, a Canaanite harlot. What about the next one, Ruth? Well, we won't read everything about Ruth, but Ruth actually isn't so bad. She's not such a bad lady. But we got a little problem with Ruth too. She's a Moabitess. She's from the tribe of Moab. If you know any of your history, not so good. They don't get along with the people of God. Ruth chapter 1 verse 3 says, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left alone in her two sons. And they took of them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. Now, who were the Moabites? Well, they were the enemies of God's people. You know, any of your Old Testament history, they, they clash with the people of God uh, uh, quite oftenly. They were a pagan nation. They rejected the Hebrew God, did nothing to do with them. They served false gods, Chemosh, and so on and so forth. They were very sexually immoral, very perverse people that wanted nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the things of God at all. So Ruth, though she's a halfway decent lady, she's just from the wrong tribe. She's a Moabitess. She's not an Israelite. She's not Jewish. She's not at all, none of those pre-qualifying things. She's just of the wrong people group. So the third woman mentioned in the lineage of Jesus is Ruth, a Moabitess. Okay? So we have a, a seductress, we have a harlot, and now we have a Moabitess. Okay? Not good. Not good. Things just aren't looking so great. Well, what about our fourth lady, Bathsheba? A lot of you may know already about Bathsheba. Second Samuel chapter 11 Verse 2, does anybody else love and enjoy piecing things together from the Bible? Tremendously. I might be the only one that likes this sermon, but hey, I love it. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2 says, And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And David sent messengers, and took her, and came in unto him, uh, excuse me, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now, if you remember how the rest of that story goes, it's, it's not a pretty one. Not a pretty one at all. So, the fourth woman mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus is Bathsheba. For all intents and purposes, she's an adulteress. She is an adulteress. These, these are the four women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, not including Mary, obviously the mother. But these are the four women 
mentioned in, in Jesus' genealogy. Now we have a, a seductress, a harlot, a Moabitess, and, and now we have an adulteress. It's just not looking so good. Out of four of those women, three of them are Gentiles. They're not even from the house of Israel. They're not even from any of the 12 tribes. They're outside of the people of God. Three of them are. They're not even Israelites. They're not even God's own chosen people. In these four women, there's adultery. There's sexual immorality. There's harlotry. There's illegitimate children. There's some incestuous relations going on. There's deceit. What a complete mess. What a mess. But this is who these people were. It's who they were. Not sugar-coated. A little bit ugly this morning, but it is who they were. Now, maybe you're thinking, man, what, what are you doing? Preaching just to, to run on women today? Just to beat women down today? No, no, no. I assure you, if we looked at the men in the lineage of the Lord Jesus, it's worse, brothers and sisters. It's worse. There's murderers on the men's side of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is not at all to look at how bad the women are in the lineage of Jesus. No, 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 that's not the point at all. The point is is that God, in His providence, used a seductress, a harlot, a mobitus, and an adulterer to usher in the Savior of the world. Do you realize the significance of that this morning? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth and Bathsheba were used by God as a means to bring salvation into the world. Think about that, brothers and sisters, this morning. God, the Creator, planned all this out before the foundations of the world. He looked and He said, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, these seductress, adulterers, adulteress, they, they are the ones that I want to use to bring my son into this world. The creator of the universe who wanted to display his love through his son Jesus intentionally chose a seductress, a harlot, a Moabitess, an adulteress as a means to accomplish his plan. Do you realize that? That, that it means that I am saved today through the lineage of, of these of, of Tamar, the, through the, the, these lineages, the lineage of a seductress, of an adulteress, of a Moabitess, I am saved through their lineage. I don't know if you realize what that means. You, you are here. You are redeemed. You are saved through the lineage of a seductress, a harlot, a Moabitess, and an adulterer this morning. You're here. Now, now let's think about that for a minute. What can we say about that? What does that say to us this morning? You know, I thought about that, and I, I even looked at some commentaries and so on and so forth. And I, I believe that the, the Bible intentionally names these women. And yes, they have tarnished reputations. Yes, their, their lives were ugly. Yes, their lives were, were shameful. But I honestly believe there is there's not... A, a richer, more robust way to display the grace of God. There, there is, you couldn't think up a way better to display the grace of God that we see in the women of Jesus' genealogies. We see worthless sinners in the eyes of men. We see people that are good for nothing. They're discredited. They're shamed. They're used. And they're broken. But God chose those women to accomplish His plan of salvation. God looked at them and saw, she's perfect. She'll 
perfect. She's just right. She's exactly who I want. She's exactly the one we need. Exactly the one that we need to bring forth Jesus, the Redeemer, into the world. God chose those women. God handpicked those women to accomplish his plan of salvation and bring forth Jesus, the Redeemer, the light of the world, the anointed one, Messiah. That's what Messiah means. The anointed one came through the lineage of a seductress, a harlot, a Moabitess, and an adulterer. They, those women, played a part in ushering Christ into the world, a small part of ushering the Lord Jesus into the world. Now, I like to ask, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? What is the application here? It's pretty simple, really. It is. If they can have the grace of God in them, if they can have the grace of God through them, then maybe us, we, as messed up as our lives are, Maybe we can have the grace of God displayed through our lives as well. As messed up as some of their lives were, as messed up as some of their families were, as messed up as some of their situations were, yet God still brought the Redeemer through them. Maybe, just maybe, He can do something through me. Maybe He can do something through you. Despite your past, I know some of you in here have things in your past you're ashamed of, you wish you would have never done. Maybe some of you have mistakes that are so embarrassing. Maybe some of you have failures that's so embarrassing, you wish you could blot them out. God's looking at you and he's saying, that's just the one. I can use somebody like that. The grace of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. I love this verse, these two verses says, moreover, the law entered. Whenever the Bible talks about the law, it's talking about Torah, the, the rigid Ten Commandments, the laws, the, the 613 laws you must obey to be a, a perfect Jew. Moreover, the law entered that the uh, sin might abound, that offenses might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Can anyone say amen to that? The law brings guilt and shame. The law brings the knowledge of sin. The law makes us guilty. The law is heaped upon our backs to prove that you're guilty before the eyes of God. The law brings condemnation. But God's grace is shed abroad to anyone who will accept and embrace his son, that it brings eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, I'm sure they were embarrassed. I'm sure they were humiliated at what happened to them. I'm sure they had a low view of themselves, but God saw them as a pathway to a Savior. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus tells us in his Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you got a messed up family. So did they. Maybe you got horrible mistakes in your past. So did they. Maybe your life has been an embarrassment at times. So was theirs. Jesus got some ancestors just as messed up as you and I do. You realize this. 
We read this earlier. One of Tamar's twins, Tamar had twins from her father-in-law, mind you. Okay, don't, don't forget that for a moment. Tamar had twins from her father-in-law. One of them's name was Ferez, from her father-in-law. Jesus' lineage can be traced back to Ferez. How's that for a crazy uncle? Yeah, anyone out here got some crazy uncles you're embarrassed about? Jesus had them too. But yet, do you see what's emerging to us out of this goofy genealogy? We're getting a picture of the grace of God out of a goofy genealogy or what we might think is a goofy waste of space genealogy. If I can ask the band to make their way back. You understand where man sees trash, God sees something useful. You understand that? Where man sees a lost cause. Anyone ever called you a lost cause? Looked at you like you're a lost cause? Like you're a waste of space? God sees an opportunity. Where man sees someone that's worthless, something that's worthless, something that's junk, God sees something precious. Something precious in his eyes. Because his good graces are shed abroad on us. Brothers and sisters, ultimately... When I read these genealogies, this one found here in Matthew chapter 1, ultimately what I see emerging, it's the character of God. It's a picture of the goodness of God on display in a seemingly meaningless genealogy. And it turns out these biblical genealogies are in there for a reason. They are. What we thought was fluff, what we thought was dumb, what we skip over and think is goofy. They actually teach us valuable lessons about the nature of our God. You know what they teach us? That He's a good God. That He's a God that sheds grace on the worst, on what we perceive as the worst of people. God says, I can use that person. They're valuable to me. I can use them to accomplish my means. God's willing to forgive. He's a good God. God's looking for the repentant. God's looking for the humble. God's looking for those whose head hangs low in shame and embarrassment and guilt. Because he can use that person. He's going to avoid the proud. He resists the proud. He can't do anything with those people walking around acting like there ain't nothing wrong with them. He's got, he can't use them. They're unusable. He's looking for the Tamars who've been used and abused and taken advantage of. He's looking for the Bathshebas. He's looking for women just like that to say, I can do something with you. I can do something with you. You're just my type. Now, these four women, yeah, they got a messed up story. Yes, it was a broken road. But now these four women have their names immortalized in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome from... From a goofy genealogy, we see the Lord in His good-natured grace emerging. Let's stand this morning. These altars are open. Our band will play. If you've been used and abused and you could use some of that grace that God sheds, he gives liberally to men who ask, to men who are meek and humble and realize they're a sinner, God will give you His grace. He will make you righteous through His Son's blood. In Jesus' name, amen.